Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy for the spoiler section of Amends. And we have Dee back with us. Thanks so much, Mrs. Gordo. By the way, I really love that that username. Every time I see it, I get a little <laughs> chuckle. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> I'm a fan, yeah. I'm a fan of Mr. Gordo. So. It's such a niche thing that like Buffy fans know exactly what you mean, but most everybody's like, what is Mrs. Gordo? Right. Mr. Gordo? What is this? Mm-hmm. But everybody else is like, oh, I know who that is. I love it. Every time we get to the spoiler section of of an episode, I just get really excited because especially like this one, there's just a lot of foreshadowing. There's a lot of stuff that like we know that happens in Angel and Buffy that kind of explains what's happening in this episode that I mean, you can obviously enjoy the episode as for itself as a standalone, but once you kind of know like what all it's setting up, what is happening behind the scenes, it just makes it that much richer. Um, and then not to mention just the foreshadowing for Angel's character development and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm excited. I was about to say, I feel like this is such a precursor to his show. Like if you don't watch Buffy and then you've only watched Angel, I feel like you need to watch this episode before you jump in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to call this like episode you know, zero. It's even funny that um, the bartender guy, what's his name? Willie the Snitch. Willie Willie the Snitch is like a very angel-esque character in Buffy. That's true. He kind of reminds me of, you know, the the bars that we see in Angel where there's demons hanging out, drinking beer, and they're kind of coexisting. And so it's really cool that his character is in this episode that is sort of like, I don't know, like the foundation of Angel, it kind of shows you a different world, like a world where demons are kind of just hanging out drinking beer. So I think it's cool that he's in it. Well, Willie, now that you mention it, Willie kind of reminds me of like um, when Lorne is first introduced, where he kind of like owns the nightclub and he's purely used as a way of getting information and he's not really given much character yet. So you don't really know much about him. Also, sorry, guys. I'm sick. That's why I sound like this. Um, but she went to a rave last night. That's yeah, why I went she to a freaking <laughs> rager. Yeah. I did during not. COVID. <laughs> I just got off work. Uh, but like that's kind of what he reminds me of, and I'm glad that Dee said that because it, it it is very similar. But I like how they kind of took that to an extreme on the show Angel with the whole nightclub with Lorne. It makes it feel more adult. Like even just like the first episode of Angel, you're like, oh, okay, this tonally is going to be very different. This is not a coming of age. Yeah, he's drinking story. at a bar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, what is this? This is different. <laughs> okay. So D, you maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but do you know exactly when the series of Angel was announced in the run of Buffy? Because, you know, as I'm going through, I know roughly when Joss got the idea. And I know at this point in the series, they were they already had David Greenwald over there writing scripts and stuff, which is why he was not on the series of Buffy as much. But do you know when they announced, hey, Angel's going to have his own spinoff? Like at what point in the 
um, in the season. Well, I mean, and I could be wrong about this. And so, I mean, if, you know, I hopefully nobody quotes me on this, we'll but check you. I had no idea that Angela was leaving. Um, I oh, was surprised. Okay. Now, there was a big gap between graduation part one and graduation part two. So I could have missed something, some announcement okay. or something like that. But now I do know now that they were shooting Angel season one before Buffy season uh, three ended. They were already shooting. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. They were they were shooting towards the end. And in fact, if you look at Angel, like the way he's dressed sort of in graduation and even like right mm-hmm. before, his – uh, wardrobe looks very much Angel seri- uh, season one. Okay. Um, he's already shooting, and I think uh, Cordy was already shooting over there as well. I mean, Charisma, obviously. Uh, but uh, I was uh, surprised about the new show or, or the fact that he was actually leaving. Um, but then again, I I could have just completely missed like uh, a teaser that I didn't watch or sure. something like that. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if you remembered or anything because, I mean, I started watching the show once it aired on Netflix back in like, oh, I don't know, 2008, 2009, something like that. And so obviously they put Buffy and Angel right next to each other. So it was kind of like, oh, that's the same character and knowing at some point he's going to leave and stuff. So there was obviously no surprise for me. But I'm just curious, like for people who watched the show as it was airing, you know, but again, like the way we consume media was so different back then. It was. Too. It like it was so easy to miss things, even like miss an episode, and then you have to wait till the box set comes out to catch it again. You know, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, we, you know, we had we didn't have like <laughs> Twitter or Instagram to right. leak certain things, and so we right. had like Tiger Beat magazine, which came out like like after the episodes much after so if there was any scoop or whatever it wasn't like immediate um i funny enough cuz i'm such a huge uh at, you know angel the series uh, ats fan just so i'm not confusing it angel versus ats i guess i'll just yeah, call it ats but so creative um, with their titles i know and i'm a huge fan of the show but when i when it first aired i refused to watch it because yeah. I was so mad, I was. I mean, I was a kid, yeah. and I was right. a huge Angel shipper, Trust and me, I was so upset that, that I had not seen. I will remember you. I hadn't right. seen you it. You missed those little mm-hmm. Easter eggs. I hadn't all seen Sanctuary I hadn't seen it until Sarah showed it to me like a year and a half ago. Because I, I, I mean, mine was much. My stubbornness was much longer than yours. It literally took me years and years and years. I just like for me. Because I always loved Angel's character, but I didn't want to watch a show and have – because there's five years of room of disappointment in his character and what they could do. And I just was so scared if I was going to watch it, they were going to either ruin his character that I loved so much in Buffy. But then also like kind of – you know how like they – after breakups and TV shows now, they – didn't do as much back then, which I'm thankful for, but they do like a breakup and they have like one episode of morning and then it's like they just move on. They never talk on about On to the next again. girlfriend and we're like, no. I was so scared that they were going to do that with Angel just because I was like, their love is so infinite. It's just like- Yeah, I was like, I refuse Just like the Romeo and Juliet. I refuse to watch a show where he moves on immediately and starts dating everyone under the sun. I just was like, that's not Angel. And so I was so scared too. And then Sarah had seen it on her own and was like, you need to watch these certain episodes. I never seen Faith's arc. And that's unfortunate it too because and I and I say this again I was a very different person back then when I watched Buffy I did not like Faith uh, when I first watched Buffy yep, again I was a Buffy stan 
And I didn't either. I hated her yeah. for a couple rewatches, not even going to lie. I liked Faith. And I I love Faith now. And I, there's nothing mm-hmm. I love more than Angel and Faith's relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could yeah, go same. on and on. And I'm very happy that I came – I got to Angel when I got to Angel because I ended up coming back watching Angel when I was in college. And I think that it – hit me in a way that didn't wouldn't have hit me when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I watched it. I rewatched Buffy and then I got to Angel and I started watching Angel. And, and first of all, I was like, you know, the themes on Angel really worked for me at that time. Number one. Number two, the faith stuff really gave me a different perspective on her. And, um, and you don't, I mean, it's like you're getting like ha- – um, with Faith, you're getting like a third of the story on Buffy. I mean, when you see her on Angel, it's like a whole new world for her. And mm-hmm. she really comes alive with him. And I love that they have each other. I love it. That's the only thing I love about the comics too. Oh, have you read the comics? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. Oh, you have? I'm very sad to – I regret to inform you that I have. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm so scared to read the comics. I don't. I know enough about it to know that I just don't know if I want just to don't do the Angel and Faith comics. But, but yeah. the best thing about it is the Angel and Faith season nine. It's – I mean, okay. it's really a really lovely story. I just yeah. – I can't get behind – like there's too many there's too many things in it where I'm like if there was like a few problematic ones I'd be like okay I can overlook it but like Xander and Dawn and uh, and like giant Dawn Giles yep 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 Giles turning into like a child Uh, and then like like uh, Spuffy which like I like I'm not a hater of like Spuffy but it's like realistically Buffy would never choose Spike if Angel was an option, and I will. Well, that, die but the, on that she head. doesn't in the comics, though. Angel's not an option for her. So, oh, I mean, okay. literally well, in all of the canon, in all of the canon that we have, show and comic, Buffy has never once chosen Spike over Angel. Period. Oh, well, that makes me happy. So that Spike was just the convenient. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. because they know if Angel was ever in the mix, she'd choose Angel. Like ever, they have to keep him even away. when she was like quote unquote in love with Spike, he shows up and she's like, well, maybe in the future. Like she can't even like, and she doesn't even tell him that she's in love with Spike. She's just like, um, he's in my heart. Like, girl, we know <laughs> <laughs> you want to be with Angel. Just leave with them. <laughs> that she doesn't give him the amulet. He is in my heart. I always think, what does that Such even a mean? BS answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what it is. It's like when you're dating somebody. It's never happened to me. I'm not even joking about that. I'm just saying, like, if you're dating somebody new and then your ex, who was like the love of your life, comes up and asks you about it, it's like even if you're like happy with them, you're sitting there and you're being like, um, you know, it's all right. Like we're okay. Like. Maybe we'll break up. I don't know. Like <laughs> that's how it feels. She says Spike's not my boyfriend. You know, yeah. uh-huh. but he is. There's room. There's room. I think. It, I think for Buffy, she's at this point. She's like, listen, I don't have time for boyfriends right now. I'm literally yeah. fighting yeah. the first evil bitches. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the thing is, is that like Buffy is always the type that she she doesn't really look too far ahead. She's been that way through the entire series, and so it's always like the very next thing onto the next thing and stuff. So for her to even say to Angel, yeah, I do think that far ahead sometimes tells a lot because that's not typically something that Buffy does, you know? But anyway, okay, so let's talk about the snowfall and the powers that be. 
So on the official Buffy posting board, Whedon declared that the snowfall may have been the work of the powers that be. I'm assuming he wrote this before they completely fleshed out everything on Angel. He says, the snow and amends was good. Dot, dot, dot. Was it God? Well, I'm an atheist, but it's hard to ignore the idea of a Christmas miracle here. The fact is the Christian mythos has a powerful fascination to me, and it bleeds into my storytelling. Redemption, hope, purpose, Santa, these are all... These all are important to me, whether I believe in an afterlife or some universal structure or not. I certainly don't mind a strictly Christian interpretation being placed on this episode by those who believe that. I just hope it's not limited to that. Um, And then we obviously have like Jasmine who takes uh, credit for Angel coming back. But I'm trying to remember, was it ever fully confirmed who it was that brought Angel back or was it just a bunch of people that claimed it? Do you remember? No, we we don't ever have confirmation in the shows in the shows who brought the snow. I mean, Jasmine takes credit, so you could take her for her word. You could take the first for for the first word. I think I kind of. I mean, it it kind of works really well that we don't know who brought the snow because it really works in favor of like these themes on Angel that like you don't have all the answers. You don't always know yes, why agreed. you are alive and whether it's because you mm-hmm. were brought back by to evil do with what or given. brought back by a powers that be was whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but what matters is what you make of your life as you move through it. I think it also works well that we don't know whether or not the snowfall was some- from someone good or for some- from someone evil simply because – the whole idea of the apocalypse and the prophecy for Angel is that he's either going to be on the side of good in the end or is going to be on the side of the evil. So the fact that there's such an ambiguous start to Angel coming back helps with that storyline and feeds into that idea of like, is Angel going to be good or is he going to be evil? Obviously, we were like, he's going to be good. But I'd like that it leads into the whole storyline on the show of Angel. I also like that there's like that little nod in Angel the Series during the episode The Price where Cordelia mentions that there was a snowfall at one point in Sunnydale. It's a it's a very small little blip, but it's when Angel's despairing that Connor the baby has been taken. <laughs> Leah hates when I talk about this storyline. No, no, no. I love that part where she's like, it snowed once. It did Because it was just like a reminder of like Buffy and Angel. I will say as someone who – it's not the biggest fan of the show Angel, just for my own personal reasons. I will say they do an amazing job of constantly pointing back to Angel and Buffy's relationship. Like they really make it known that Angel always will love Buffy and that Buffy always has a piece of him. And I feel like not a lot of shows do that. Well, except for season three. <laughs> yes, yeah, season three yeah. sucks. So, fun fact. The area where Angel attempts suicide is actually the same area where Willow will attempt to destroy the world in Grave. It's eventually going to be known as King Man's Bluff. You know, this again, um, none of my ideas are original, but this is Mark Fields talks about in Lover's Walk, we we see Angel reading La Nose, and then we have, you know, his existential crisis in Amends, and then we have kind of the um, conclusion of that with um, – with the, um, I'm sorry, I, I skipped the wish. The, the wish actually uh, shows us a meaningless world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, we have the conclusion with gingerbread. So we see the world without Buffy and without meaning. 
Um, mm-hmm. We see Angel's existential crisis and amends. And then there's sort of his internalization of his, um, you know, coming to terms with his, um, with this world or the meaning for him being in it in gingerbread when he kind of has that conversation with Buffy, which is, I mean, you guys are going to talk about it next episode. So I'm not going to get into it too much, but it's a very meaningful conversation between Angel and Buffy in which Angel is basically telling Buffy the same thing she told him on the Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, When it's, you know, he says that, you know, you're the one who taught me, you know, that, um, I feel like I, I should know that quote, but, but he repeats basically back to Buffy, you know, that this is, um, you know, this is what we have to do. Um, and it's, it's, it's a recurring theme for Angel. This amends episode zero of, um, Angel kind of grappling with the meaning of his existence and the reason that he fights and the reason that he gets up up every day and doesn't go and, you know, face the sun, um, kind of carries him through an arc into Angel that ends in Epiphany when he repeats, you know, the very, very famous uh, mm-hmm. quote, all that matters is uh, what we do. And he has this revelation, finally, an Epiphany about the fact that, you know, he fights because it gives him meaning mm-hmm. in his life. And uh, so I think that it's kind of interesting that this really set this episode sets up a whole arc that kind of concludes mm-hmm. in in Epiphany in like season two of Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was kind of going to talk about the parallels between Angel and Buffy and Angel and Darla because I would even say that they're setting even though they weren't aware of having Angel the series all the way back in like halfway through season two, even Angel sleeping with Buffy and innocence and surprise and setting up the Angelus arc is kind of in a way setting start the start of that arc, which completes and finishes with Angel sleeping with Darla. It rounds it out very well where you have, you know, Angel kind of ignoring and not wanting to think about his past, sleeps with Buffy, becomes Angelus, and all of a sudden his past is now his present. And then when he comes back, he's like having to grapple with all that and then, you know, everything that you said. And then he goes on to Angel and he's still like, he's like, okay, well, what am I doing? What am I fighting for? And then he's like, oh, the Sean shoe. So I can get Buffy back. And while like Buffy isn't necessarily a bad motivation, she shouldn't be the main motivation. Like he should be fighting for good, goodness because for the sake of goodness, because that's the right thing to do. And so by the end of season two, that's what he realizes with Darla is my motivations and priorities have been not where they should be. I should be trying to save people because that's that's the be- the greater good. That's the best thing to do, you know? So I just absolutely love like how – I mean, I know season two is kind of rough. Like when I showed Tabby and Leah, Tabby especially really struggled with season two, like the darker angel when he's just really going through it. But it's so important for him and his arc. And well, in I, hindsight, I, I like it. it now. It's just hard to swallow the first time you watch it. Sure. Like I, I like – I like it now. I think there's some scenes and I'm like, I don't really think you need to have gone that far. That's a it's a bit rough to watch. But I I do understand only because he has a literal demon inside him that he's having to fight against every day. Like just because you have a soul doesn't mean that you're perfect. And unless you're a soul spike. <laughs> Oops. Um, but like with Angel, it's like you see his like fight every day 
and you see him do that. And so like having him really go through it in a season of life where he's having to really find his identity and then you screw up in the process, I think is really real. And I think most people are going to relate to that. Um, especially when you're kind of a tackling like early adult life, it's like you feel like you're just like running on quicksand. You're just like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm sinking. Like, I don't know what to grab onto, you know, um, don't know what my safe haven is or what I'm really fighting for. So I appreciate it now. I think it's, yeah, again, it's just a lot to like digest when you first watch it. Uh, I wanted to, to kind of echo something that Sarah was saying on the, on the parallels of, you know, the, the Buffy angel story and the Darla angel story. Um, I mean, it's, it's explicit almost, right? Because one is called surprise. The other one is called reprise. Uh, mm-hmm. In reprise, actually, I, I almost think about it like angels back on that hill. You know, mm-hmm. he, he knows, or he thinks that sleeping with Darla, he's going to lose his soul. And so at that point, he has decided to, to, you know, to lose himself mm-hmm. and and do the easy thing, right? He he's decided to stop fighting. He he mm-hmm. this whole time he's taken what Buffy said and he's, you know, taken it with him every day. He's fought and fought and then he grabbed on to this Shanshu prophecy. It turned out, you know, that it was a big nothing burger and he's gr- coming to to grasp with that. So he gives up and he's back on that hill and he gives in. Um, and he is essentially trying to commit suicide. He's trying to lose his soul. And that is the easier thing, right? I mean, it's the easier thing for him at that point is to give up and to give in to his demon. Um, and then when he realizes that he, you know, doesn't lose his soul, then he goes and he, you know, kind of comes to terms with the fact that he's still, he's still there, the other thing is that there's miracles two times. First is the snow. And then the second miracle is that he, you know, when he's talking to Kate, um, she says, I never invited you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a miracle that he was able to get into Kate's apartment. So there's, you know, kind of two little miracles sprinkled in both mm-hmm. times that kind of that lead him to, again, you know, his coming to terms with his existence. So I'm a huge season two uh, fan. I love it. I love the inverse of the Buffy Angel story and that Darla mm-hmm. arc. I think that Darla and Angel are extremely interesting um, to look at and examine, um, and their dynamic is just phenomenal. Um, but I really, what I appreciate most is how it ties back to Angel's arc on on Buffy on on Buffy the Vampire Slayer because mm-hmm. I think that um, it really informs his character. Well, uh, kind of on top of that, D, that was so well spoken, um, and I'm about to butcher it, mm. um, but um, I feel like a good like kind of I don't know what you would call that, but not necessarily mirroring, but like how Angel's easy out was to kill himself, right? But then with Darla's end of her arc. Her killing herself was too was sacrificial. She like wanted to stay, but the fact that like she, as somebody who was pregnant and felt like the life inside of her and gave her morality, she was like, "I'm going to kill myself to help the child that I'm like that I have in me or whatever." I don't. I'm not very good with my words today, but I think that's just so beautiful because it's like Angel 
wanted to leave. And that was the easiest thing for him was to stop fighting. And for her, the best thing for her to do was to end her life to help somebody else. Yeah. And it, we could obviously have a whole episode on Darla, but especially for Darla, right? Because Darla, more than anything, wants to live. I mean, she wants to exist. She begs Angel to turn her, you know, and then when she finds out she's having syphilis, mm-hmm. she goes out there and tries to to get somebody to turn her. So yeah, that sacrifice that Darla makes, even, you know, knowing and understanding that Darla has always been about existing and really surviving um, for what, 400 years, um, that she gives up her life for Connor uh, is is beautiful. I mean, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that we could talk about, whether it, you know, writing choice, it, it was the right thing, but it is a really beautiful sacrifice. Okay, let's talk about the first real fast, since obviously this villain here in this episode is going to be the big bad, the big villain in season seven. Um, There's a couple inconsistencies, like you see Jenny very clearly, or the first as Jenny, touching Angel a couple times. We know he's the first is non-corporeal in season seven. I think it's not really – I don't think they ever say it's non-corporeal in this episode. Um, And the – but I will say like the first two motivations are very consistent throughout the show. It always seems to be looking for a way to destroy Buffy, whether that's through Angel, whether that's through the Slayer line and the weakening of the Slayer line. Um, Buffy is a huge factor in holding back evil and the first seems to really want to pinpoint her as kind of the catalyst for that. So I'm curious, what are your guys' thoughts on the first as a villain, not just in this episode, but even like when it was brought back in season seven? I don't know. I think I have mixed feelings about it because a part of me really loves the first in this episode. Um, And like Jenny as the first is amazing and all that. Um, And I don't hate the first as a villain at all. Um, I think the, the first is... It's a very interesting concept. I think origins as a villain is such a fascinating thing because there's a lot you can dive into there. But it also sometimes feels a little lazy. But I will say because it's more of an abstract um, villain, it made it very interesting because then the villain was never something specific. It was kind of whatever the storyline needed for the season. And I think that that sometimes worked really well and sometimes it didn't. But I think that as a whole, it it made for a very interesting final episode. um, And I really liked that. So I've always been a slut for like the big bad, meaning like somebody who's like a physical form that they can fight. Like Gloria is my girl. I love her. Like I love the mayor. I love Angelus and or Spike and Drusilla in season two. But I think like season seven, I don't know. I have a kind of like Leah, like I kind of love hate relationship with the first in season seven. I think that it could have gotten in a very lazy route. And I think sometimes it dabbled the line in that, but it didn't quite indulge, which I'm happy about. Like, I think it kind of got a little tired because it was more of just talk and then like no action for a lot of the season. And then we had just the potentials on top of that. So I just was like, I want, I just want like, fighting scenes like we only got that the last like four episodes with like and it wasn't even the first it was with like those like uber vamps yeah i think that the the first works really well in amends and i think that part of that is because 
the actress does such a good job or, you know, Jenny, you know, seeing mm-hmm. Jenny as the first is, mm-hmm. is such like a, a powerful, um, you know, tool. Imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagery. Um, and, and if you would have told me back in season three, if you, if you'd come to me and said, Hey, do you think it would be a good idea to bring this villain back later? I would be like, yeah, do it. It'd mm-hmm. be really cool. And then mm-hmm. I watched season seven and I was like, Oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just don't think, uh, first of all, exactly what Tab said. It's just a bunch of both both Buffy and the first, all they're ever doing is giving speeches, like the whole season seven. It's like almost a joke. And um, I don't find – I mean, listen, Sarah Michelle Gellar is like a phenomenal actress, but I just don't find her rendition of the first quite as um, impactful as seeing Jenny as the first, um, or it didn't really do it for me too much. Um, and then I – and, you know, you, and then so they throw in Caleb or whatever, but Caleb also goes off on these monologues too. So it's like everybody's just monologuing like the the whole time during season seven. So I, I think that the first could have been a very effective villain. I don't know how I, I'm not a writer. I don't know how I could have written it better, but the way that they did it, I was not, I in my opinion, uh, done as well as it was in amends. No, I mean, I think pretty much everybody agrees with that. I think season seven suffered because it was stretched thin. They had a lot of stuff going on, but they did not use it well. And so literally every facet of season seven feels like it's not – like it's stretched thin. You have Buffy monologuing constantly. Like Tabby said, there's not really a lot of like fights. You don't really get a lot of um, good character arcs within the season like even Spike, who he arguably gets like the most time focused on his character development, doesn't really get like a full arc, doesn't really get like a lot of progression with his character. Um, and even if there is so-called progression, it, it tends to be kind of a lot of show and or a lot of um, tell not show. Like, oh, we're all of a sudden supposed to believe that Willow's over her magic addiction. We're supposed to believe that Spike is this big warrior. Whereas, you know, so like there was just a lot of stuff that happened. I think the first is also a product of that. The first is um, if they had picked one consistent person to be the first, it would have made it a little bit easier. But I know like part of the allure of the first was the idea that evil is in all of us. So like every person is supposed to like wrestle with this little thing. And um, and so I get what they were trying to do. And I think season seven, I've talked about it this before, I think it's the most ambitious season. It just was not executed very well. And because of it, the first became a very underwhelming villain, which is such a bummer because it is mm-hmm. phenomenal in this um in this episode and so i think it could have been really good and here's the thing like i love buffy's monologues but it it has to be warranted it can't be every episode and has to be after something is really impactful and or just kind of like jarring to watch but it just kind of felt like it was like all the time and even they made a joke about it and storyteller it's like oh buffy's doing another one of her monologues again and you're like oh like and i don't appreciate my favorite character being like reduced to that like or people even laughing about her or like Mm -hmm. you know even criticizing because i'm like man like i love buffy and i you know i don't i don't like feeling that way about buffy but it's kind of neat that you brought up the monologues though tabs 
Um, because I think about the first or Jenny saying, you think you can fight me. I'm not a demon, little girl. I'm something you can't conceive. The first evil beyond sin, beyond death. I'm the thing the darkness fears. And then Buffy, you know, mm-hmm. in Showtime says, I'm the thing that monsters have nightmares about, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is also paralleling um, her speech that she gives in um, Nightmares in season one, where she talks to the the boogeyman or whatever his uh-huh. name is, the ugly man. Um, but a lot I also of things love, scarier than you, and I'm one of them. Right? There's like that continual like pattern of Buffy being like, "No, I'm powerful too, and I mm-hmm. can hold you back." And I I love that we have that because it's often you know the world, the innocent lives, and then Buffy that's standing between them and evil. And so having that consistent parallel it just gives me goosebumps every time. So question for you guys: Do you guys wish we had delved a little bit more into Xander's backstory and home life? And do you think that that would have impacted how people view Xander on the show today? Like it would be a little bit easier for us to sympathize with him. Um, I think that his and Willow's backstories could have been dived into a little bit more. Specifically Willow's. I feel like Willow's is the one that's a little bit more overlooked than his. Um, But yeah, I do agree. I feel like they're given so much screen time that it's like, why isn't there you know, an episode or two dedicated to what their lives look like apart from Buffy. Um, I mean, I guess I'm of the opinion that, you know, Willow and Xander and Giles, I guess the things that we get throughout the shows about them to me are pretty sufficient to round out their characters because they basically exist to be, in my mind, sort of components or mirrors for, for Buffy. So I don't know that I want episodes on episodes dedicated to Willow or Xander explaining, you know, why they are the way they are. I kind of like the little seeds that we get throughout the story that kind of inform us. If we're paying attention, we get it. Um you know, Xander has said a few things here and there. He says some things here in amends. You kind of get an idea for the fact that he has a difficult home life. So I guess I was never, a, you know, one of these people that felt like we needed a whole arc on that. Um, I, I kind of like that we get it spread throughout the episodes and that most of their existence is to kind of tell a story about Buffy. And um, just maybe that's just because I'm a Buffy fan. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I actually agree with you, D. I mean, I it would have been maybe nice to have a little bit more for Xander and Willow, but honestly, like I don't and I think that's the beauty of Buffy. I think Buffy doesn't feel the need to overexplain things. It often deals with things in very organic ways and that often means that we don't know the full story. Like with Faith, there's a lot we don't know about her, but do we need to understand her entire backstory to know that she has trauma, that there's some things going on in her life? No. Same thing with Xander. We like like we know enough, we get little hints sprinkled here and there to know his family life is not great. And so I think people, and I think this just takes maturity. I think people can display empathy for Xander and for what he's gone through while also holding him accountable for his crappy behavior. Same thing goes for Willow and same thing goes for Faith too. Yeah. So I I agree with you. I think I wouldn't have hated more time for both of them, but I also don't feel like it was necessarily needed for the show, you know? And I do feel bad for for Xander, you know, in this episode, and I feel bad for him a few times in the show. It doesn't excuse the things that he said. And and um, I'm happy that, you know, of course, when I first watched the show, I didn't really – it was a different time. 
you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I looked at it from a very different perspective. I really enjoy, you know, the newer viewers, the younger viewers really taking him to task. And, you know, f- you know, even me learning some of the, as I grew up realizing, hey, no, that was not cool. Um, because we didn't, you know, back then in the late nineties, early two thousands, that was just par for the course for a lot of this stuff, unfortunately. Right. Uh, right. But I think that, um, you know, just because he has a home, a difficult home life doesn't give him an excuse to be, you know, an asshole when he is. I just wish that he had an actual apology. Like if he did, I think I would just move on. But it's like, in this one, he's just like, oh, I think I just got like the Hanukkah spirit. And you're like, that's it? You're just going to say you're going to help and you're going to help and that's it? Well, Joss Whedon does not believe like in apologies. Like the bare minimum. Like the bare minimum <laughs> we're asking does. for is an apology. Uh-uh. Yeah. I really don't think Joss uh, like believes in apologies. Like we really don't for himself get too. many apologies <laughs> in the whole entire series. Like with the exception of Buffy. Buffy's the only one that does. Yes. And Buffy gets through it and everyone's crappied her and yet she apologizes. What an angel. She's just perfect. Yeah. She, no one deserves her. Except for Angel. Angel deserves her because Angel would definitely apologize. She deserves Angel, though. That's really the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She deserves yeah, to get what she wants mm-hmm. and what she yeah, wants that's as Angel. What it is. Um, there's obviously a lot of foreshadowing that happens in this episode apart from, you know, Angel and all that stuff. We have, um, you know, in graduation day, the, the guilt that the first feeds on in this episode is ultimately a big reason why Angel – uh, feels guilty about biting Buffy and ends up leaving Sunnydale is he he goes, man, I can't control myself or Buffy deserves better. Buffy deserves more. It's multifaceted, ends up leaving. Um, and then obviously we kind of have, I don't know if it's necessarily foreshadowing. I, I kind of see it as foreshadowing, but like, you know, the dream where Angel bites Buffy, we have that happen at the end of the season. And I think that Angel's definitely thinking about that dream when he's in the hospital watching Buffy having to have the blood transfusion, like there's definitely that whole thing going on in his mind of like, I almost killed Buffy. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because it really, um, it really seals the deal Mm -hmm. in my mind for Angel in graduation day. You know, his, we, we have seen his biggest fear. We've, we've seen his dream. And we know that that is his biggest concern is that he will give in and that he will uh, hurt Buffy. And in graduation day, when he bites her afterwards, it's like, there's no way this guy's staying. There's no way because he has now literally lived out his greatest fear. And he knows that he hurt her, even though, of course, we know that, you know, Buffy hit him and he was weak and all of this. But Angel doesn't care about that. All Angel thinks about is I hurt Buffy. That's all he thinks about. Well, and even, I mean, the very clear addiction relapse metaphor there where like the doctor asks him, were you guys taking anything? Yeah, it's very, very clear right there. (laughs) Breaks my heart every time. Right. So not necessarily wanting to always compare Buffy versus Angel. Like, I know that they both are their own thing, and I think it's unfair to always do comparison and stuff. But a big complaint that I have with the later seasons is it often feels like the Spuffy relationship, even the Cangel relationship on Angel, often feel like 
cheap mirrors of what Buffy and Angel have. And that's not necessarily because I hate those other relationships, but it's also, I feel like the writing does them a disservice by trying to mimic and copy storylines that have already been done. And in one of those things I was thinking about as we were watching the episodes is Beneath You. So the episode where we find out Spike has a soul and Buffy and him have that whole thing in the church where he's, you know, he's shown that he's tried to claw out his heart. And um, this this episode in some ways is kind of like uh, Spike's amends. Beneath You is kind of like Spike's amends. Um, when the first, you know, is taunting Spike using his own guilt from having a soul against him. It's very similar to how the first is mocking and um, making Angel feel guilty um, and how Spike desires relief so much that he clings to the cross, almost hoping that it will consume him so he has peace. How do you guys view, like, what are do you think are the differences between how that scene is handled between Spike and Buffy versus how the scene on the mountaintop is with Angel and Buffy? Do you see that there's major differences? Do you think they compare? Like, like what are your guys' thoughts on it? Can I take the reins first for this one? Go ahead. All right. <laughs> And this is coming from somebody who I think that scene is really beautiful in its own right. And I think that like it's like very well done, cinem- you know, whatever that word is, cinematography-wise, whatever. Um, I think that what is a little frustrating is that he's kind of painted out to be the victim in that scene. Um, and it's like him being tortured and him like, you know, like – feeling awful about what he did to Buffy and it, and it's like even some of the dialogue they give him where you're like whoa 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 like it it I wish I could pull it up but there's like some some things that he does where he's like oh like like to feel her and touch her and he like tries touching her she throws him aside and it's like him it's kind of like resembling him having to fight like the demon in him but it's like it's it's kind of done in a way that's like like, oh, poor Spike. Like, oh, like he has his, his soul back and he's really struggling. And like, and he just wants to leave because he just is so like filled with torment because he hurt Buffy. I'm like, this isn't about you. This isn't about you. Like, yeah, that sucks that you're being tormented by all of your past things. But it's not like he's being tormented that we've seen that he's being tormented by killing people for decades and decades and decades. It's really the fact that he like, you know, hurt Buffy. But then it's like it's painted in a way where it's like we're supposed to sit there and be sympathetic towards him. And I'm and it it's like kind of manipulative as a viewer because I'm sitting here and I think I'm more mad at like the the writers only because like the scene is really beautifully done and like the acting is really great and like the score is beautiful. But then it's like then you walk out and you're like, man, I really feel like manipulated because it's so beautiful and like the music is like kind of uh, drawing you into this place of being like, oh, like, wow, like that's really powerful. And he's like about to kill himself because he feels bad that he hurt Buffy when he could literally just sit there and be like, I'm sorry. Did we get that? No. And then like, but then like, in complete like op- opposition or whatever, like Angel sitting up there wanting to like kill himself because he doesn't want to hurt Buffy. Like the difference, the difference between them two. I, I don't know. It just it frustrates me. It really does. Like I like I'm not a, a Spike hater. I think there's so many things about him to enjoy. I just some of the 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 things that the writers choose to do with him really really frustrate me because it. Like, and I feel like a lot of people don't really pick it up too. And that's the thing is like, I really feel like Spuffy fans, I'm really throwing a bone out to them. I really feel like they don't really understand a lot of what the writers are doing with Spike. It really feels like manipulation as a viewer in season seven 
to me. People can disagree with that, sure. But it's like there's some certain scenes where I'm like, why is he being the victim here? It's because they're trying to deter the viewers away from being mad at him for what happened a couple episodes ago. And it worked. I don't know how. I don't know how newer viewers are watching this and are okay with like stuff that's happening in season seven. Because like, here's the thing. If they didn't try to push the the romance with them in season seven and they actually did a proper arc with him without him monetizing the screen and like taking away everything from Buffy and then at the end saw them kind of form a little bit of a bond, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't really necessarily like it as much, but I wouldn't hate it. But it's the fact that it's like right off the bat, we're supposed to feel bad for Spike when we just saw that happen. And he doesn't seem to care about anything else that's happened for the last like few centuries. That's what really rubs me the wrong way. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Well, first of all, I I never really thought of Beneath You as his amends. Uh, I, I never really got the impression he was trying to kill himself. So I I don't know if maybe I misread that. But I do think that that season seven, uh, the Spike arc, is basically the angel story port put in a blender and then they just kind of mix it up and then they refeed it to you. So mm-hmm. for example, never leave me. Buffy has an interaction with Spike in which she says, um, wouldn't it be easier or be easier? Wouldn't it, if it were an act, but it's not, you face the monster inside you and you fought back, you risked everything to be a better man. So I really think this is actually a really good mirror to the speech in amends. Now I, don't understand Buffy necessarily in this interaction because then she says she follows it with, and you can be, and you are, which I don't think he is yet, but I think he can be right. Um, I think that Buffy here is telling Spike what he needs to hear, um, what he needs to believe. Um, And I think it's similar to what she's telling Angel in amends, which is that you you can be a better man. You can make amends, right? You can make a decision to fight and do good. I think the amends speech is better, and I think it probably more accurately reflects what Buffy really feels or thinks. And, you know, beneath you, I, I look at it a little bit more like the the angel reveal in, in 1-7. Uh, in fact, the lighting is very similar. If you kind of look at, there's a lot of cinematography uh, similarities Unfortunately, um, in that scene, um, but, um, you know, the major difference, and of course I'm trying to keep myself focused here because I could, uh, have a whole podcast on why I hate Spuffy, but the major difference (laughs) is that, you know, Angel's story and his struggle are very much, um, shaped by like, you know, his history his regrets, the curse, right? Um, and his internal struggle for meaning. Spike is all about Buffy. And that's it. That's the end. And when the first is traumatizing Angel, he's traumatizing Angel with with his fear for hurting Buffy, but also with all of his past wrongs. But with Spike, it's just Buffy, showing up and torturing him by, I think at some point, you know, telling him nice things and then going, just kidding. It's, it's not really me. The bottom line is that Spike's story is for better or for worse. Okay. It is all about his feelings, his desire, his 
want for Buffy to possess her, to have her, to be the man that he thinks that she needs or wants. And, you know, for a lot of fans, obviously, that is a very compelling story. For me, it is not. Because I think that Buffy should not feel guilted into being with somebody like she does in Beneath You. I mean, she's crying while while Spike is revealing to her that he got a soul for her to be hers when she didn't ask for it, when he tried to rape her before the, the last interaction. And the fact that this starts the story of season seven, which will be, the story will be throughout the whole season Will she love him? Will she forgive him? And it's unfortunate that that becomes the the whole crux of the story. Because in my mind, a much more compelling story to me is Buffy falling in love with somebody on her own volition, not because she's guilted into it, not because she feels they deserve it or deserve her, but because she loves them. And that's not the story of Buffy. Um, that That's... The story of Spuffy is, is does Spike get her at the end? I just yeah. don't care what he gets, to be honest with you. That's just yeah. me. <laughs> no, nope, it's not just you. No, I agree. I think that my biggest beef with season seven, and it starts with Beneath You, is that the entire season becomes so Spike-focused and on Spike's arc that we lose sight of Buffy herself and Buffy's arc and what Buffy wants. Um, she seems to lose a little bit of autonomy Um, And I really wrestle with that. In a lot of ways, it feels like just a cheap mimic and mirroring of the Angel and Buffy storyline, where it feels like two autonomous people who have their own desires, who do care for each other, but like have their own battle to fight and stuff versus with Spike and Buffy. It just feels like such a codependent relationship sometimes where you're like, Spike, do you have any interests? Do you have anything that you like to do on your own? Like, are you even your own person apart from Buffy? Like. That's not interesting to me. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you say that um, because I think that some fans actually do have a problem with Buffy and Angel because Angel goes off and has his own storyline. True. Yeah. And, um, and even – let me – to bring it back to amends, even I have come across Bangel fans who are very upset by the fact that Buffy doesn't convince Angel – to come to come down off the hill, um, if if is it's not obvious yet. I'm I'm probably the biggest Angel fan that you will ever meet ever in life. Okay, like I mean, <laughs> no. it's like obsessive. But but to me, it is so important that amends not be about Buffy convincing Angel not yeah. to kill himself, it, and and it has to be Angel coming to terms with. And the audience coming to terms with the fact that Angel's story will go beyond Buffy. Yes. It's going to be yes. about more than just Buffy. And so it's important that we start to see that his whole journey, his whole existence is not going to be um, revolving around just Buffy and her mission. There will be something else. The snow is going to show us, is showing us that there is something else for him mm-hmm. and that something else for him we get to see on his show. To me, when Angel goes off, of course, this took me many years to come to this uh, this kind of realization. 
when Angel goes off in his show and has his own mission, his own life, his own purpose, he becomes a uh, you know a much better match in my eyes to Buffy because he has his own um, his own life, right? And so when he comes back, the times when he comes back to Buffy. And we see it throughout the shows. They love each other and they continue to love each other. And we see and when he comes back in End of Days, when he seems to come to terms with the fact that he wants to, to you know, try to be with her again or, or something along those lines. I think that he is better for it because his life is now not just, just Buffy. His life is, you know, his mission, his purpose, his friends but also he loves Buffy. And so he's a complete person. He has his own life. Spike doesn't. Spike's life is 100% revolves around Buffy and he revolves around being with her, you know, is she going to love me or not? And that's not a very compelling story to me. And separate and apart from that, I don't think that makes for a very compelling partner who has no life of their own except for, you know, to worship me. It's also like your taste of romance. Like we like the the fairy tale stories where like the hero is so wrapped in his hero and will die for her, will do anything. And like a lot of like even like the Disney old fashioned stories like Cinderella, Snow White, we don't know a lot about the prince because it doesn't matter. We just need to know that he loves her unconditionally and will do anything for her. For a short while, a story is really – it could be titillating to think that that person like – is obsessed with you. But in the real world, like nobody wants a partner like that. That's unhealthy. In the real world, somebody who is the best for you is someone that is going to give you the space, give you boundaries, but also is going to have their own world that they're living in too as well, where it's like, these are two mm-hmm. people who are strong and independent and care for each other. And Well, I think that's the crux of it is just looking at like, what does Buffy want? She is the one in the relationship, not you. You then that's why I like, I enjoy Spike. I just... Buffy has always wanted Angel, and if Angel was ever an option, she would choose Angel. I feel like that's pretty clear. That has been clear for seasons. Like anytime he shows up, she melts. Like the last episode, like we just said, like she brings up the idea of the future. She wants to be with him. She doesn't give him the amulet to fight in it because I don't know. You can read into that one if you really want to, but she gives it to Spike. You know. Speaking but. of the amulet, I I love to think about the idea. Um, that the first kind of knows that Angel is going to be instrumental in bringing them down. Because if you think about it, and I and I hate this if I that I have to stop and think about it this way because I want Buffy to be the hero at the end of the day. But the thing that brings down the first is the amulet, and Angel's the one who brings the amulet. Mm-hmm. So if if not for or but for Angel bringing that necklace and having it there present and you know on Spike. This this um, never goes that way. Like Buffy doesn't defeat the first. So the first, I think, has a vested interest. That's why I don't really believe that the first brought Angel back. I think that would be really stupid. But um, mm-hmm. or, or maybe the first is stupid. I don't know. Um, but <sighs> if he, but if, but regardless, I think that maybe he. I don't know. I say he. The first they they understand the angel could be instrumental in actually foiling their plan, and in fact he is. I mean, if if not for that necklace, who knows what happens? I mean, when Buffy walked in there and we saw all of those Uber amps, uh, vamps, like well, how many uh, Slayers did we have? Like twenty 
whatever. And there were like right. millions of Uber vamps. Like right. they were not going to win. Um, right. It just made no sense, right? Um, so it's kind of interesting to think that the first back in season three – and and I mean I don't you know I don't know how much Joss Whedon was thinking ahead. Obviously he wasn't thinking of season seven at the time, but mm-hmm. it kind of works to kind of um, the other thing I like to think that I had canon that I don't want to move from is that I like to think that um, some people think that the first was Darla speaking to Connor. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was thinking about that in season four. What do you think about that? Do you think that? No, the first. I just don't think that I don't think that makes a lot of sense because, again, um, Darla is trying to convince, uh, you know, Connor not to. Can't even remember what she's talking to him about. I know, I know, I, I, I have <laughs> I seen like, that once. I, I hate that episode, but I like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But, but a lot of people have that same idea. But anyway, I kind of like the idea uh, that the first, you know, was was happy that Angel was preoccupied with like the Jasmine end of the world stuff right. over there right. because that kept him busy. So I think the first had a vested interest in keeping Angel over there um, sure. and not have him, you know, sort of end up back where, where Buffy was um, because obviously that foiled their plan. So it's really interesting to think about how season four of Angel and season seven of Buffy kind of fit together. Um, they really do work well in some ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, because Angel ends up exactly where he needs to be so that Buffy can defeat, um, the first. Well, even in, even in Buffy telling him, no, like you should not fight alongside me, like go back to Los Angeles and have the second front and not letting him wear the amulet. Like it works really well if Angel's the one that is ultimately going to be the tiebreaker between good and evil, that he should not be the one wearing the amulet. He should not be the one down there because he's too important. I mean, obviously, like my head canon is she's like, let's sacrifice Spike, not Angel. But you know, in like the bigger overall storyline, it makes sense that he would not be the one down there because they need him for the upcoming apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. And she, I mean, and I, you know, I, I mean, I, I like to joke around about the the amulet thing with Spike too. But I think you know, Buffy cares about Spike, so I don't think she would give him something that she knew was going to end his life. And I also think that she's a pragmatic person and she really in right. reality does need Angel because right. Angel is her, her you know, sort of the other her person equal. like her, you know, mm-hmm. her equal-ish. I mean, I still mm-hmm. think Buffy is more powerful. But, you know, <laughs> if not if not Buffy is there, who does she need to help, right. you know, protect the world? It's Angel, not Spike. Otherwise, she would send Spike away and say, go, you know, do right. a second front. Um, Spike is her sidekick. Angel is her partner. So, Ooh, I like that. I'm going to put that on t-shirt. <laughs> and he really Especially does make he a good sidekick. You he know? does. He And that's something we talked about with Leia in um, Lover's Walk. I And I'm a firm believer. Like, I know they were tossing around the idea of doing like a Spike spinoff, but I... <laughs> Okay. I really – I think Spike works really well as a supporting character. I'd prefer him to be in his own show. I'm like, stay away from Buffy. That's not <laughs> me. He he doesn't even get his own comic. I mean, I think he has like one arc. He doesn't have That's his own – That's true. I mean, he can't even support a comic. So, I mean – uh, I think the writers know what Spike is. You know, he yeah, belongs, he's very good at what he is. He belongs as like the the sidekick. Uh, you know, Spike, if he would have come back instead of going to Buffy on season seven and going straight to Angel, I would have been all about that. I really enjoy him yes. on season five of Angel. Okay, so the last thing I have, unless you guys have anything else you wanted to talk about. 
Um, I think the only thing I had in my notes is, and I think we talked a little bit about it last time is the first says, you never were a fighter angel. Don't start trying now. And I think it's, I don't know, a cool little quote because in fact, he becomes quite the fighter and he, his whole story on Angel, the series is about fighting, um, being a warrior, being a champion. Um, that word I'm not, I don't know, huge fan of. Uh, but um, I, I think that that quote kind of sets up like, you know, Angel being like, okay, well, you know, maybe I can fight. Maybe I can do some good here. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So last thing. So this is, I know this is definitely going to be brought up. Let's talk about this scene where Buffy and Angel hit each other in comparison to season one sanctuary when they have that fight. So these are the only two times that we have them outright like fighting each other. What do you guys see as the difference between these two scenes? How do you guys view, and I know this is, sorry, this is like really heavy and deep. You can answer whatever you want. How do you guys view the violence in these two scenes in contrast or comparison to the violence between Spuffy, especially in season six? I mean, the violence in this scene is like protection, whereas the violence in season six is sexual. Well, I view it kind of selfishly too. Like the the violence in like the spuffy stuff is very selfish and it's very like abusive because here's the thing. And I don't know if I'm going to explain this very well, but I'm going to try to. I view as physical altercations in the Buffy verse as something that's kind of more metaphorical, not necessarily as something that's like them actually fighting each other um, because it's not a real relationship in the terms of how we view relationships. And also, they're also superhuman people. So it's like throwing a punch is not going to be the same as me throwing a punch or being hit by somebody because I'm human. And that's our terms in this world. Whereas in that world, it's like, especially in this scene, it's Buffy's desperation to snap Angel out of whatever he's in. Um, and since Angel is in his weakened state, it's like they have this camaraderie in the moment that's supposed to be emotional. It's not supposed to be like a, I'm towering over you because I'm bigger than you. And I'm the whole point of me hitting you is to make you smaller and to hurt you. So that's kind of how I view it, especially in Sanctuary. That's the first time. And I think, again, they're showing this metaphorically. It's the first time that they've really fundamentally disagreed morally on something before. And that one is a is one of those rare times where it's like I think is really hard to do in television where you see both sides to a mor- moral quandary and you get it on both ends. And so seeing moments like this, it's not like a we're fully on Buffy's side and we're fully on and we don't understand Angel's side at all. And so we're like really angry that like they're like being, you know, upset each other and punching each other. It's one of those really rare times and I really love when shows and and movies can do this is when you really get both sides. This is what a moral conjury is. Whereas like the whole Buffy and Spike thing and like I'm just going to go straight in. It's not metaphorical because it's very – season six is in your face. It's not very dabbling with a ton of symbolism or like things like that and so Mm -hmm. seeing them in a physical relationship and Buffy even saying like that's not how I get off and then seeing them very be very abusive with each other 
it doesn't sit well because it's real in this sense. I I've never really bothered too much by the amends interaction. I I, I don't I don't know who punches. One of them is a punch and one of them is a push or something like that. Yeah, he like shoves her and then she hits him. Yeah, and then so first of all, I'm always cognizant of the fact that Buffy is stronger than both Spike and Angel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember listening to another podcast uh, about this episode, and they were talking about how she looked very scared and, and vulnerable in that moment. Um, and I don't in the amends moment, and I don't disagree necessarily, but at the end of it, she pushes Angel off and he flies. Okay, so I think that's a good reminder to us that she is the stronger of the two. Um, in that in that interaction, I don't necessarily know that he he hits her. He does push her. It feels a little bit like desperation. I do have a really big problem with Angel hitting Buffy in Sanctuary. I want to preface that by saying that I um I'm entirely against Buffy's position and then that whole episode. I'm on Angel's side, but I don't like that he hits her, and I don't care if she hits him first. That's like a literal punch. Um. And I do think I can understand that maybe he did it to protect Faith. And I can understand that he did it because he felt like, you know, Faith was in in trouble or at risk. Um, But I don't like it. I mean, you know, there's, there's my, Angel is not a perfect relationship. There's things that they they do that I'm not a fan of. And I don't like that. Um, But in terms of how it compares to the the violence um, with Spuffy, I mean, I think, you know, that that violence is just, constant in your face. There is, um, you know, an abusive element to it. I think that um, the struggle between Angel and and Buffy and Sanctuary is Angel feels protective over Faith. Um, And he's worried that, you know, he's got this very delicate situation going on with Faith where she's like on the cusp of like running away. And he feels like, oh my gosh, if I can just help her, if she can just you know, stay here. I can help her through this. And Buffy's coming in here and making a very delicate situation even, you know, more difficult. Um, so I can understand where he's coming from. I, I mean, you know, Spike is a soulless vampire, so I don't think we're meant to understand where he's coming from. He's evil in season six, despite what some fans may tell you. He's an evil vampire who is, you know, abusing uh, the, the person that he's having a relationship with. Um so, I mean, you know, he's just he's just not good people's uh, spike uh, in season six. I like what you said, Dee. Like, Buffy and Angel aren't perfect, and we don't have to excuse every single one of their behaviors and stuff. But I do think at least when those things do happen, when there is, you know, hitting or whatever, there is a reason for it. There's intentionality and a purpose behind it. And we always know exactly what that is. Versus in season six, sometimes it's like, what what's happening? Like I don't understand who you're trying to defend here. And things there's always a very clear line between good and evil, um, at least with our main characters. And then by season six, it's just so muddied. And it and I think that's okay, except when you're talking about abuse. When it comes to abuse, you have to always as I firmly, I think when, when it comes to your media, it's always good to like show clearly what is right, what is wrong, and when abuse crosses that line and stuff, especially with adolescent shows and stuff. It's hard to, and we need to remember not to confuse fandom reaction with storyline. I would argue that season six, forget about season seven for a minute, season six does not ever portray um, 
that relationship to be healthy or to be something that you would root for. Um, you know, if not for the fact that you're a big fan of Spike and that you look for reasons to excuse his behavior, um, you know, it's a very, I think, I think that season six Buffy is a very well-written story. It's not a very comfortable story. It's not a story of two people that should be together. It's a story about a toxic, abusive relationship. It's a story about Buffy being depressed and, you know, getting into a relationship with somebody who's terrible for her. Um, And it's really season seven that I struggle with because that season is the one that starts to kind of paint a different picture of season six. Um, And, and then of course there's fandom reaction to season six, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which Mm -hmm. is very different. But um, I mean, uh, when I watched season six, you know, it, it, you know, it, I watched some of it live and I mean, it, it spoke to me, you know, Buffy, what she was going through and all of the things that she, she felt and, and even some of the the toxic relationships that she was in. And so that's okay to tell that story. But then, you know, um, the, the, the reaction to that story isn't always going to be what the writers intended. And then, of course, you've got season seven, which we have to come to grasps with. Sure. And that's a really good distinction. I think for me watching it, like, I – I understand that they're trying to portray an abusive relationship and that uh, and that you know they're they're showing that it is toxic. I think for me sometimes there's they straddle that line a little bit between like ooh let's make this this buffy sex scene super titillating, but it's also supposed to show a toxic relationship and I think sometimes as like as a writer who's trying to convey the message that this is a uh, downward spiral. This is self-hatred. This is depression. This is all that stuff. You have to be careful not to make it so, um, I don't know what I guess appealing. keep saying this word. Yeah. Appealing or like it just becomes in it like, and I was listening to a review from a, one of our friends, a Rob, he was talking about, um, was it, it goes smashed and then it goes wrecked. I think he was talking about wrecked and he was talking about how everything you need to know about the Spuffy relationship happens in wrecked in the aftermath when Buffy's literally saying you're convenient and Spike's like, no, you love me. You have a taste of me. And Buffy's going no. And like, he goes, that's everything you need to know about the Spuffy relationship right there. But then it continues on for four or five, six episodes. I don't remember exactly how long after that. And he goes, it just becomes so you're like hit over the head with it. And it's like, we have like episode after episode of like, okay, now Spike is, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but you know, then this is happening with Spike and Buffy over here on the balcony, or there's other things over here. And it's like, it edges so close to that line of being like titillating almost when it's easy for someone who's not as aware and is just watching it and is not, not, maybe just jumped into the episode. And instead of them being like, oh, hey, like this is like, this is bad. This is wrong. This is what's happening. It's so easy to fall into the other side of like, this is hot, you know? And I, I struggle when those lines become blurred because it's like abuse is not sexy. You know what I mean? So right. I think when I'm saying that, like, obviously the, the people can interpret things however they want, no matter how clear the message is, we've yeah. seen that. But I think that season six doesn't do as great of a job with trying to keep those lines pretty divided. Sometimes they get really blurred. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I understand what you mean. So 
Anyway, I need to find like a better way to find like a higher note to end on because I always end up having like these like <laughs> we always end up talking about like smashed or wrecked and then we're like, well, come back next week. Hope you all enjoyed that. <laughs> but this was really fun and this was really enjoyable. And I geeked out a little bit and did like a little happy dance every time you like pull out some like cool Buffy fandom knowledge. And I'm like, oh, yay. Like I love learning all those little tidbits and stuff. So I appreciate your wealth of knowledge, D. Yeah, and I I have learned a lot from y'all's podcasts. So I mean, the, you know, there's it's the cool thing about this fandom is like I still learn new things like decades after starting to watch the show. So thank you guys so much for what you do from the fans. We really appreciate it um, to have a podcast like this. It's um, it's really special. So thank you guys because it's a labor of love. I know. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely enjoy doing it. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Dee. I had a lot of fun. I know there are so many people that are like waiting for these episodes and are very excited to hear what you have to say. So anytime you want to come back, let us know mm-hmm. if there's any episodes in the future, if there's things that you want to talk about, even like, yeah, you want to talk about Rekt? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I we'll guess I down. Just- have a glass, a large glass of wine, and there you go. It'll be, it'll be amazing. No, um, and then you know we're gonna definitely do some angel crossover episodes in the future. So if there's anything Fun. that you just, if you'd like to come back. Um, we would love to have you. I would love it. I had a lot of fun. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you listeners. We hope that you guys enjoyed this. Definitely send us in your thoughts. We'd like to know what you guys think about this episode as being kind of the backdoor pilot for Angel the Series. You guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next week for Gingerbread. Gingerbread.